Welcome back to the Sound Off Podcast presented by Daily Blend. In this episode, we connect with Graham and Fisk, founder and CEO and CFO of Man Can Wine. During the episode, we discuss how the company was founded, their journey in finding the right partners, challenges with entering a new category, and what the future holds for their business. As a heads up, this episode was recorded on an iPhone due to the fact that the AA batteries failed five minutes into the episode. While the audio might have not been optimal, I highly recommend tuning in to learn how two guys from Cleveland not only started a wine company, but decided to put it in a can. As always, you can get this episode and all other previous episodes on such platforms as Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, Overcast, Mixcloud, and many more. Don't forget to check us out at dailyblend.com and Graham and Fisk out at mancanwine.com. So with that said, enjoy the episode. All right, so let's just start from the top. What what did you guys uh, just give me an overview of kind of both of your backgrounds and and what made you guys how'd you guys get connected first and foremost and then we can kind of flow into the brand yeah so fisk and i have been childhood pals for over 25 years we met at camp in grade school on the shores of lake erie and then went to high school together and did a summer in dc in college together and then we're out in colorado post-college so you know we've always been pals and when i was covered in construction dust one night. I went to a bar in the neighborhood after hanging drywall, and I was wondering why there were all these craft beers in cans, and I was craving wine. And so I pulled out my iPhone, and I Googled wine in a can and canned wine. Really, the only thing that popped up was a little 187-milliliter can of champagne. That That's not what I'm talking about. I wanted a 12-ounce can. And the brand Man Can popped into my head, and I bought ManCanWine.com that night. And Fisk at the time was in Denver at business school, and I called him the next day and I said, "What do you think about putting awesome wine in a can, Man Can?" And Fisk is like, "I'll fill my fridge with it in a heartbeat." But <laughs> where I was coming at it from a marketing, storytelling, consumer goods standpoint, Fisk was just finishing his MBA. And so I was able to look at, all right, how do we actually make a business that is scalable? And that was the spring of 2014. And we spent you know, the next year and a half creating the brand, finding a winemaker who shared our philosophy, really getting blends that had universal drinkability and getting the supply chain that could keep up with the demand. So we launched in the fall of 2015, going store to store, bar to bar in San Francisco And the fun part is we're headquartered in the whole old firehouse that's on every can. We get to bring our dogs to work. And for two guys that have been pals for over 25 years, we get to drink on the job. So it's pretty good. (laughs) So that's a pretty, pretty spectacular setup. So basically in one night you figured out just your marketing and just happened to be available and it just sort of flowed. That's not what I was expecting. Most people have to debate back and forth, but I like it. That's cool. We, we discussed it. So the, the idea and the URL was purchased. Uh, we'll start there. The, uh, the URL and the brand was definitely discussed internally, but we loved the fact that it had a rhyme to it. There was a resonance to it. And you know, when we did a number of these market research groups, you call them folks groups, 
we found that people really loved the name Man Can. It was something that was memorable. And when you're trying to produce a consumer good that has longevity, you want that resonance. Yeah, no, the, the name definitely rings off or rolls off your tongue. I was I was talking to a few folks about the brand and I was just saying like man can and they're like, oh, that just kind of resonates. I kind of think about that, especially if I've had maybe one or two. Yeah, you never, you never forget it. Yeah, and that's, and that's certainly uh, for a developing brand, a real strong asset that we have. It's, you know, we, um, we created a great brand that once you hear it once, you never forget it. And, and, and it really put a flag in in the category. Nice. So I got to ask, so you got a wine company out of Cleveland. Most people wouldn't maybe naturally associate those two things. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. I just saying they don't typically think of Cleveland with wine. What made you guys want to fly your flag there? We both grew up in Cleveland. You know, we love, we love, love Cleveland. Yeah, we love Cleveland. You know, the idea was conceived of in Cleveland, but we crush all of our grapes out in California in wine country. And so although we're headquartered in this old firehouse that you really can't find a building like this in a lot of cities that a startup can really take over and use as their headquarters. So you've got the character of the place and we've got our roots here. So we're Cleveland guys that love to have a Cleveland company, but there's also the saying that you can live in Cleveland, but work in the world. And we really espouse to that mantra. Yeah, I think the yeah it 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 actually took probably three or four months to really bring it back home. So uh, we when we went out to California, that was probably uh, really a six month duration where we started selling door to door in the Bay Area <clears throat> to create proof of, proof of concept, to create our story, and then find distribution back home and, and bring the product back home and, and be able to uh, relocate the company uh, to Cleveland. Gotcha. And so what was well, the production facility is still out in California. Okay. And our distribution facility is in Napa. And you know, we then distribute from that warehouse to all the different distribution partners that we have in the 17 states that we're in. Gotcha. So pretty much operations, Cleveland distribution, California. Makes sense. Question product. product. Yeah. So what made you, so I noticed you sort of took an approach of, of not trying to get sort of super particular on the name of your like individual wine, but, but just sort of saying, this is our white wine. This is our sparkling white wine. Like, was that a conscious decision or were you just like, this makes sense to us? We're deliberately non-vintage and non-bridal on every can because as we try to take the chore out of drinking wine, we wanted to provide all the staples with universal awesome drinkability. So our white wine is a white blend. Our red wine is a red blend. We found that people get hesitant once they see a particular varietal, and we can deliver a blend that has universal drinkability and hit the consistency year after year. So you don't see the vintage on it because if the Merlot harvest was a little different from one year to the next, we can compensate with a different varietal. But it shouldn't be something that the consumer thinks about when they crack it open. They should just know that they've got dependable, awesome, high-quality juice that wine spectators give them two of their coveted best buys each time they open up the can of man can. Similar, you know, not only we, our feeling was not only did, does the beer industry have the market being in packaging, but you know something that they also do well is you don't question the hops harvest year over year out of Dale's Pale mm -hmm. Ale. 
you know it's going to taste like a Dale's Pale Ale. And um, that's the same. Same is true for us. You know, I certainly never really thought about it in the kind of comparison to beer. I mean, you're dead on, right? You don't say like, hey, when was this Bud Light made? I mean, other than they're like, they're born on date, which I don't even think they do anymore. You know, no one's like, hey, this is this is from the Denver Brewer versus like the Atlanta Brewer. Yeah, huh. that's an interesting approach. I think that's, you know, just a really straightforward way to like, you know, keep it simple. Right? Yeah, and the high quality craft beers that... You look at even you know, like the Boston Beer Company in Sam Adams. They, they don't have okay this vintage. Now they've got seasonals, but that's different than their go-to American Lager that they've been putting out there year after year. Yeah. Huh. Cool. So I know you guys said you know went out and found folks to partner with. So can you kind of walk me through like? You, you came up with this idea to have a wine company, but then I'm sure there were a lot of steps, both in terms of sourcing product as well as like, how do you package this? How do you sell it? Like, where'd you start? You know, and you, I don't need, you know, who your partners are, your trade secrets, more just the process of like, how did you go from sort of start to, to sell? Well, first thing that we realized or obstacle was when we called the can company and said, all right, how much are 12 ounce cans we want to put wine in it and realize that it's a much more complicated proposition than just that one the federal government through the ttb which is part of the treasury department has a standard fill law so you can't put wine in just a 12 ounce can so each man can is actually 12.7 ounces which is 375 milliliters and then also each can specially lined with a lining that prevents any contact with the metal and because of the high acidity of wine this is a particular type of can coating so you both lock in that flavor profile and you don't have that metallic taste that a lot of people fear when they say oh you're putting wine in a can now when you look at the entire supply chain you want me to find a winemaker who was of high caliber but also casual enough to be excited about a new category like wine in a can. So we found that a guy named John Alba, he's been in the industry for decades, really understood our ethos, really was excited about our project. And so this guy worked with him to get a man can blend for each of these categories that really had that universal drinkability. And then Chris can talk you know, a little bit about his food and beverage background, but for somebody who's been on the buying end, you're really trying to figure out, all right, how are we going to be able to get this product out there? Yeah, I think we we started with saying, where's the price elasticity expected to be? And can we build a scalable value chain to meet that? And for us, that was really finding our product on the shelves uh, and over-delivering in quality at that price point, under $5 for each can of wine. And uh, so as we started to fill in the different partners, um, really working with a model that uh, we knew we could grow, um, that we had uh, security within, and that could deliver uh, the quality of the product. And and you're right, it took everything from uh, the boxes are case designs, which are unique in themselves. They have cutouts so you can see the cans to um, the, the, the cans themselves, which the original run were shrink-wrapped and now they're printed on. Um, and 
you know, for better or worse, they're imported, but soon are going to be produced domestically. Um, it took that took about fourteen months, I think, to really say we got this, we're confident in it, and let's start signing, let's start signing these deals and hit the go button. There's also things like the CRV that you realize you yeah. don't need for wine. So that's something else that you know you realize after you uh, get into market and you realize that wine isn't regulated in that regard. Although we felt that we were regulated in so many other regards where we're actually submitting our fingerprints in order to get the necessary permit for us to start a wine company. So it really does run the gamut, but I think our core belief and core mission of putting awesome wine in a can and taking that chore out of drinking wine is something that we can always fall back on. And when we've got a decision or we've got an obstacle that we've got to leap over, we want to make sure that those decisions are informed with that mission of how are we putting awesome wine in the can? How are we taking that chore out of drinking wine? And if we can make sure that we're checking those two boxes, that helps us get to the go button. And then I think down the road, there was a learning curve when we, uh, into distribution. And so for every single different state, you've got to put in a distribution partner um, to also keep that price point working with them. And, finding the retail account so um that's a daily basis <laughs> obstacle that we still you know work with so yeah. even two plus years into it our conversations are usually discussing how are we making sure that we stay top of mind with our distribution partners how in new markets are we finding distributors that share our philosophy and then how do we make sure that in this really crowded space of beverage and even your know, wine as a subsection man can as a brand is hustling to make sure that we're getting our story out there. Do you guys find you're spending more time talking with distributors or more time talking with the end users or the liquor stores maybe to, to kind of entice? It's, it's like, it's honestly, it's, it's a, it's a, I would say it's an even balance Monday, you know, it's what's the conversation needs to happen with those 17 distribution partners. Tuesday it's what's the conversation needs to happen, you know, downstream from those with the retail partners to keep everybody engaged. And we serve as the linchpin in, you know, this whole ecosystem or our economy, essentially, um, that hopefully that conversation is engaging the, the, the consumer as well. And, and we know that even the conversations with the distributor, the, the goal is always to introduce ManCan to the consumer and get that consumer acquisition. So if it's through our liquid ellipse program where we're doing tastings in the Whole Foods or the Total Line and more that we're in, or is it an event that we're partnering and we're working with our distributor and figuring out what are those strategic relationships so that somebody can try it. Because the best part is we've got an amazing truth. We've got, we were able to put awesome wine in a can. We've gotten outside validation by folks like Wine Spectator. And as soon as somebody tries it, you see that aha moment occur and you see it in their eyes. You see it in the smile they've got, you know, this is really good. And we're like, yeah, we know, but we're thrilled that you're trying it because you didn't necessarily think that when you walked up to the table, because we're a new brand and this is a new category. And as a category leader, we're really blazing the trail. Sorry. I take notes. No worries. I watched a documentary last night of Mr. Rogers. It's called uh -huh. Welcome to My Neighborhood. And it talked about how Rogers uses silence as 
one of his key interviewing tools. So I'm a naturally chatty person, or my as my wife says, chatty Kathy. But they do they do uh, we, when we did training, they told us to live in the silence, like ask your customers questions and then shut up. Yeah, and I'm getting better. <laughs> it's a practice. It's a practice, sir. I, I am better when I'm when I'm engaging with a customer. I can. I can sort of stop and, and ask and shut up. And I and I do get frustrated when when I have peers that maybe will be doing a discussion of like, let's take your brand for an example of, of let's pretend you guys were just starting from nothing, right? And you're asking exploratory conversations and then someone interrupts you in the middle of your point. You're like, they were just about to give the gold. Like it took a while for those ideas to bubble up and you just interrupted it. You just ruined it. You know what you should do? (laughs) That's, that's usually what it starts with. I think, yeah. Yeah. I think that's why I hold this just so I can sort of like think and like hold my hand down to be like, just stop. But whatever. So, um, in terms of like the four different, you know, your four products, right? Did you partner, the partner was driving how those tasted? I mean, were you guys involved with that process? I'm assuming that process was a fun process. So, like, so yeah, it was a lot of fun. Um, so, yes, we were very intimately involved. Um, a little bit of my background, well, both of our backgrounds is high consumption of wine. Um, <laughs> so we know what we like and, I, you know, these are certainly reflections of what we like. Now, we also wanted to not only find what we like, but something that balanced with what we thought, you know, the consumer would like, and also create a range. None of, you know, I think there's a good range in sweetness, acidity, and balance, and all of those technical things across the different ones. And it, there's different offerings for folks who like different things. Um, but, you know, my background uh, was in food and beverage. I worked uh, alongside. Um, uh, a very kind of uh, formidable wine house in the Little Nell Hotel um, in Aspen, Colorado, um, uh, and with a number of master sommeliers and advanced sommeliers. Um, that wasn't necessarily my track, but um, and then was a general manager of another restaurant in Aspen and was on the buy side of wine for a long time. So, you know, I think I, I, I you know, I, I, I developed, I think, a palette that I, I that I hope translates well to the consumer market and along with Graham as well. So that's, that's where we were coming from in designing this was trying to be academic about it. But at the end of the day, it was, let's make sure we have a product that we like and we'll enjoy because no matter what, we're going to be drinking a lot of it. <laughs> you know, I, 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 in the order I drank red wine just because I think I was having like a hamburger that night. And then I think I had, uh, the rosé because it was a sunny day and then the white wine and I actually left the champagne or sorry, the sparkling white for the last just because I didn't have an occasion. And I was like, uh, I think it was like some Sunday afternoon. I cracked it open. And for whatever reason, it felt for me, I had a different connection with it than your typical like Friday night celebration. It felt much more approachable. Um, and I don't know if it was, it was probably a bit of a combination of it being in a can and the taste profiles you guys selected, but I thought it went down really nice to the, to the fact that I was like, I want another one, you know? That's the goal. We want people to say they want another one. I, I think to this point, we wanted to be able to drink them as an everyday go-to. So it doesn't feel like you're 
treating it too delicately and you're saving it, you really want to be able to go in the fridge after a long day at work and grab it and crack it open. And there's a woman who uh, works in the office named Sally, and we were testing with the whole team the different types of rosés that we were considering. And the one that we ended up choosing partially was when she drank it, she said, you know, I could drink this all day long. And we said, all right, that's kind of where we're going after. So you you get that sense of super drinkability and then that universal taste profile. And part of that is somebody might try our red and if they go on our website and they find out that it's a Merlot with Zen, they'll be surprised because they might not always like drinking Merlot, but because we balance it out, uh, it's got the best of all worlds. So you've got some fruit in there, you've got a dryness, it's, you know, a few sweet notes, you've got all those things that make it where you want to crack open another one. No, that makes a lot of sense. So just listening to you guys, it feels like it's a little bit of, I'll put it logic, science, and a little bit of just gut feeling. So you mentioned you're in, you know, a, a, a number of markets. How did you guys choose, like, where to start, where to head next, and then what's on the roadmap? Uh, well, if, if, if the, well, the, all right, I'll answer the question. The first distribution partners we found came, you know, came to us, and it was coming out of California. We expected to stay, I think, Southwest first. And, um, you know, it was very interesting. We were coming into the summer of 2015, and um, we started talking to some East Coast partners, which is probably a, a matter of where we are grew up regionally yeah. and uh, found ourselves in Boston, Massachusetts sooner than we did Colorado. Um, so it wasn't necessarily to plan. Um, some of it was, uh, you know, sales threads and sales leads and uh, talking to distribution partners who got what we were doing and um, respected the hustle that we were putting behind the brand and wanted to bring that in their house. So uh, we learned quickly it wasn't necessarily where we thought we were going to go, but partnering uh, with the right people in the right places who wanted to do business with us. And, you th- and I'm guessing that's going to be kind of a consistent thread throughout, right, as, as you look to expand more? Because of the three-tier model, you really have to abide by it. You can't just flip a switch and say, all right, this is going to be my distributor in New York State. Right. You've got to find somebody who you're going to work with. You've got to be able to trust them with your brand because they're going to be on the front lines. You've got to be able to trust that they're going to be able to fill orders. The partnerships that you forge on the corporate level, you've got to make sure that they're going to be able to deliver all that. Those things are taken into account. So it's not like you can look at a map and say, we've got to go here. You can start those conversations and instigate it. But we got a call from somebody from Montana recently and they're really jazzed on our brand and we thought great we'll entrust it with you in montana obviously it's not the densest state in the union but if we can be fly fishing in the summer and skiing in the winter it's consistent with the ethos of man can uh so we are excited to be in montana if you had asked me six months ago or even six weeks ago that montana was gonna be our next state i would have said i don't think so and I know it's like um, 
beer and some other products, you have to change the recipe based on the state. With wine, do you have to change anything? That makes your life a lot easier. Yeah, so with a lot of times people ask us, oh, you know, is it 100% wine? And yeah, that's we're putting awesome wine in a can. And so we're 12.5 ABV uh, for you know, each of the types of wine. Uh, there, It's 100% California wine and we can everything in wine country and are really proud of what we put in there. So I think when we go out there and we share it with somebody, we always say it's better to drink man can than just talk about it. But the goal is really how do we have this convenient everyday go-to for the consumer? No, that, that makes sort of total sense to me. So what is it? what was it like? So you developed your own product, but you also kind of were a leader in developing your own class. I mean, it was that just you've got end consumer, you've got liquor store, distributor model, and now you've got to educate people on, you know, this new class. Like how, what are some of the challenges around that that you guys have seen or, or had to jump over? I think you just hit the first challenge is the number of people we had to sell on this new class to get one canceled. You have to sell the distributor, you have to sell the retailer, and then you have to sell the consumer to get it there. Yeah. And so it's not necessarily putting something on a website and getting a direct-to-consumer model. It's very different in the uh, beer, wine, and liquor space. And that was certainly challenging. Um, and still is. Yeah. The best part, and this is where I think you were in a really good position for continued business growth, is you'll talk to somebody, like I did last week, and you'll say, oh, I've got a wine in a can company called Man Can. They, they look at you, what? You're putting wine in a can? So you still, even though we've been around for two years and the space and the class has gotten a little bit more crowded, it's still to consumer a real aha moment that you can put wine in a can. And I, I think that that is a huge part of the opportunity that we see as we continue to grow. And have you guys started to see sort of, I'll call them synergies, and that's the most overused word, but, you know, events or companies where, you know, it, it naturally feels like part of your ethos to partner with them. Have you guys explored that or seen anything? Yeah, so we are really partnering with everybody from Westward, which is a big music festival out in Denver, where you've got A-list acts come in for a day long of really awesome music in the streets of Denver. So you get the urbanity and you get the millennial audience to the fact that you know we're launching Rose in Florida with a unique partnership with the Susan Komen Foundation, where some of the proceeds of the sales of Rose will go to cancer research. So we really have all ends of the spectrum covered and it's partially because when we see the opportunity to be able to introduce our brand to a audience, be it geographically or demographically, we look at those different partnerships as crucial so that we can lean on a event like Westward that's been around or an organization like Susan Komen that does amazing stuff on a daily basis and if we can support that, wonderful. And then you know, we talk to our friends who you know are out there, be it 
Dave Shulman, who's the uh, host of MTV's Catfish, to Casey Neistat, who is a prolific YouTuber and creator. So those are folks that you know, we work with both by getting our story out there, but also in terms of you know, helping us as we continue to grow the business. I love writing with pens that die middle of interview. <laughs> Better than explode on your hand. That's true. That's true. Um, <laughs> I've not had that happen yet, but I've seen many that do. So I can't keep all enough to die on me. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you guys think's like next for you? I mean, you know, is it continued growth and expansion? Is it you know, maybe adding a fifth can. I don't know what you would add, but could be like, have you guys thought through that? For us, it's really summer 2018. So as we sit here in late April, we've got summer steps that are getting louder and louder by the day. And it's how do we make sure that man can is the wine in a can for summer 2018. And so that's really, something we're continuing to push now on the flip side the sales cycles for wine and particularly a new category are years long <laughs> and so yeah it's not it's not over exaggerated yeah so I, I like we just got a placement that, that we've been working on for literally two years and it's not because they said no to us at first it's literally because they take so long for these resets. And even some of the conversations that you know, are years long, you know, we're still saying, okay, well, we'll do it for spring of 2019. So these schematics then get placed in terms of these planograms, which are these intricate shelf pictures. It makes sense when you think of some of these retailers that have hundreds of locations. But you also think, wow, that is a long runway to take off. So you know, we're both working on the immediate, how do we win summer? But then also having these conversations, that's more of the long game. Yeah, we'll be, as soon as summer's over, we're going to be working spring 2019. We're already, we're like literally the conversations that you know, we had with somebody today was based on spring of 2019. I'm, I'm, I'm truly shocked by the lead time just because I've seen, you know, brands, maybe not in the wine space, but certainly in the beer space that have blown up overnight. And it's like, I, I figured the market was more reactionary than that. I, I didn't think there was that much. And it's also lead. market dependent. It, yeah. Like if you are looking at a more independent driven market, you can, you can do that. But there's a lot of states out there where you've got a lot of these large retailers who dominate and they are beholden to biannual uh, redesigns. And that's and that's how they function. And that's and that's what you know you have to you have to live and and kind of sell within. You talked about winning the summer. You know, I certainly think of myself as a wine drinker. But have you guys, as you've gone down this journey, are you shocked or surprised by? any sort of demo or subculture where you're like, wow, we really had a lot of market penetration we weren't thinking we were gonna have? Nothing that's particularly surprising. It's validation more than it is surprising. 
I think there's certain accounts that will be surprising. And then when you dig deeper into it, it validates some of those theories. So there's a music venue outside of Detroit. All of a sudden, we see a big depletion on the report. But then we look at it and we realize, well, yeah, this is a place that wouldn't have had wine. They put it so that visually you can see the fact that they're selling cans of wine for eight bucks to a great on-premise price point. Live music. And it's live music. So like all those things are what we expected. It's just a great validation when you finally have a venue that's like that, that you didn't necessarily market specifically to pop on the radar. And then on the flip, not necessarily flip side, but similarly, a movie theater that will just understand what we're doing and they get it. And all of a sudden you see the fact that they're moving through a high number of cases on a monthly basis. And you're thinking, right, why doesn't the guy that runs this huge movie chain return my emails or phone calls (laughs) when we've got a proven burn through rate at very comparable spots. So, So certain points, are we surprised? I think we're more surprised by some of those folks that don't get than we are about the places that we see a spike in consumption. Actually, those make a lot of sense to us. It's the folks that are really hard to convince, even though you're showing them actual evidence of a comparable account that is crushing it. I would, you know, I I naturally think of you guys as going, you know, distributor model to a liquor store just because that's where my head kind of moves towards. But I got to imagine like the um, getting into like a movie theater is great because you kind of have that jet wash effect where people go, they're going to get a movie. They're like, oh, what is this? I'll go try this man can. And then they go home, look you up and say, oh, where do I get this? How do I get more of this? Totally. That's. It's a customer acquisition. Although at the movie theater, it's so much better because you're not dealing with one of those crappy plastic glasses that break if you sneeze too hard. If you, you know, for whatever reason, drop it, it doesn't break. When you drink it, you're actually doing it from an opening that's not spilling as you're walking from the concession stand to the theater. For so many reasons, it makes sense. It's just so surprising that you can't get through to somebody who will listen to you on that, on that front. So, I mean, guys, what, where can people find your product? I mean, I'm going to link to certainly going to link to in the post, um, the website and, um, all the different, um, social stuff, but are there any other places that you guys would want to highlight where folks can be on the lookout for it? So you can find us at every total line and more throughout the U S you have a great chance if you go to your neighborhood Whole Foods to find us. And if you don't, you can ask it and they'll get it pretty quickly. We're turned on with multiple regions of Whole Foods. There's spots that are from your neighborhood corner store to uh, the larger multi-unit chains that you can find us. So if you go to mancanwine.com, you can check locations and figure out where to find and buy Mancan. Cool. Awesome. Thank you both. Great. Okay.